right, good morning, everybody. I'm glad to see you this morning. Do you have your Bible with you? Good. You need to turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7 is one of four texts that we're going to look at this morning in our study of God's Word. We're going to take a little bit of a break from our study of Colossians until the first of the new year. And at the first of the new year, when we pick it back up, we will be in what I think is the climax of that whole book. And it is a glorious explanation of the gospel. That's going to be a great way to start 2020. I hope that you'll be here with us for that. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. And during this season, we anticipate our celebration of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And during this season, we're going to explore the biblical and theological themes of some classic Christmas carols. Classic Christmas hymns is actually probably more precise and more accurate as we will not be talking about Deck the Halls or Jingle Bells or Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer or anything like that. We're going to look at classic Christmas hymns, and I'm only going to cover four of those hymns. And there are many more. In fact, we are going to sing many more than I could possibly talk through in these four or five weeks. So as we sing together over the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to make mental notes to discuss the biblical and theological themes of Christmas songs with your family and your friends as you gather around the table during this Christmas season. On this first Sunday of Advent, we lit the hope candle, which illustrates our longing and our expectation of the Christmas celebration, our yearning for the coming of Jesus and all that he brings with him. So we thought it would only be fitting for us to talk through the classic Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, today. This song itself is very forward-looking. It's full of longing and yearning. In fact, even the original music carried this sense with, with its use of minor chords. It has a little bit different tone, the song does, than, say, Joy to the World. It doesn't seem to be quite as happy in the moment, but it certainly does express confidence in good things to come. Deliverance and salvation and freedom that comes with the Messiah. And I believe that for some people, some people even gathered in this room that we love dearly, this Christmas season will be Christmas in a minor key. It won't be super happy for them. Some people among us don't have family or have a family that doesn't get along. Some people among us come into this Christmas season reeling from a sudden loss and experiencing this holiday for the first time without someone they love. Some people get diagnosed with cancer a few days before Thanksgiving and start chemo before Christmas. Some people don't have funds to fix a big meal or buy presents for their children. There are some people among us who seek all of their joy and happiness in stuff, and they have plenty of stuff, but they are empty on the inside, and they feel that emptiness profoundly. Bottom line is this. Some people come to Christmas this year with longing, with yearning, with hoping for something beyond December. They need hope that transcends this world entirely. And if that's you, today's your day. If that's you, I want you to know that you are not alone. You are not alone if you're not super happy this Christmas. There are others in the room who join you in that. And we want to be honest about that, and we want to be sensitive to the people around us. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up this forward-looking expectation of this song. We're going we're gonna to see that this song over and over says, O come, O come, Emmanuel. 
This longing for the coming of the Messiah who will cheer us, who will free us, who will ransom us, who will bind us together. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel may be the cry of your heart during this Christmas season. The other thing that is repeated over and over in this song is rejoice, rejoice, because Emmanuel will come. Emmanuel shall come. We're going to look today at four places in God's word to see a similar forward-looking expectation. And we want, by the end of the day, to adopt a forward-looking posture as we enter into this Christmas season. Let's pray together before we dive into the texts. Father, we pray that you will fill us with hope during this season. Fill us with hope that goes beyond full bellies and presence under the tree. Rather, fill us with the hope of deliverance, the hope of ransom and forgiveness and salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Fill us with confidence that he has come. He has delivered us and lived a life that we could not live, one of perfect obedience to you. And he has died a death that we deserve as our substitute. Fill us with confidence that he was buried and on the third day he rose again. And fill us with an eager expectation of his certain return in victory. And help us in this moment to live in holiness and in faithfulness until that great day of Christ's return. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. So Isaiah 7.14 is the first place we want to go today. And I want you to read it with me. Isaiah 7.14 says, this is classic Christmas text. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, there is a lot going on in this passage, and some of it is not an easy study. Some of what's going on around this classic verse is difficult to understand. And I want us to look not at all of those things today, but I want us to look at this passage for basically two purposes in our time together today. First, I want to introduce you to this idea of the Messiah being referred to as Emmanuel. And one of the things I learned in studying this week is you can spell that word however you want. There is like no standard spelling of the word Emmanuel. You can start it with an I or an E. You can throw an extra L and an extra E in there at the end if you want to. Just spell it however you want. Laura was talking to a little guy this morning who said, what did he say? How do I spell? How do I spell Elijah? And she said, just however you feel. I don't think that works with Elijah. There is a way to spell Elijah. But with Emmanuel, you spell it however you feel today. However you think, it'll be all right. I want to introduce you to this idea of the Messiah being referred to as Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel means God with us. And there is no better way to describe the Lord Jesus Christ than by calling him Emmanuel. He truly is God with us. He is God with us in a way that eclipses how God was with his people in the Old Testament in the tabernacle. You guys looked at that in small group Bible, this Bible study this morning, right? How God's presence was among his people in the tabernacle as they moved from place to place. And they saw his presence manifested in the pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And it was clear that he was with them and he was leading them. I'm telling you, in an infinitely greater way, God is with us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is truly Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God in the flesh, walking among his people, eating, drinking, living right with them. In fact, look what it says in John chapter 1. John, who was the best friend in many ways of Jesus as he lived on this earth, introduced his gospel by saying this. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and that's an interesting way that John uses to refer to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on in that introduction, in verse 14, he says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, what's interesting is that word for dwelt, when it says he became flesh and dwelt among us, is the same New Testament word that is often translated as tabernacle. In other words, he tabernacled among us. He was the presence of God among us. He was God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. Jesus is God with us. So I want you to see from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that the Messiah is referred to as Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Second big thing I want you to see from Isaiah 7 is that there is a posture of looking forward to the coming of Emmanuel in this text in Isaiah and throughout the entire Old Testament. Throughout the entire Old Testament, there is this forward-leaning, forward-looking posture to the coming of the Messiah, to the coming of Emmanuel, who is God with us. The whole Old Testament looks ahead with eager expectation, with yearning, with longing for the coming of the Messiah, for Emmanuel, God with us. We see this from the earliest chapters of Genesis, that there is an anticipation of the one who would come. In fact, just after the fall, as God delivers the consequences, he speaks of the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. That is this longing for the one who would come and deliver God's people. Throughout the law, there are pointers to this deliverer. We see it in the Passover. We see it in the sacrificial system. We see it in the construction of the tabernacle and later on the temple. We see all of these forward-leaning forward-looking expectations of the Messiah who would come. And we certainly see it in the prophets, constantly looking ahead, constantly foretelling of the promised one who would come, Emmanuel, God with us. And often, this look ahead was not like how kids look ahead to Christmas. Our kids look ahead to Christmas with this happy expectation, this, oh, I can't wait till the day gets here. Rather, the forward-leaning, forward-looking posture of the Old Testament is often more like how prisoners look ahead to the day of their release, or like how soldiers look ahead to the day of the end of the war, or how a sick patient looks ahead to healing and recovery. That seems to be more the tone and the attitude of this forward-looking expectation of the coming of the Messiah is not just this happy, oh, that'll be a great day, but life is hard here and now, and we need someone to deliver us. And how long will it be, Lord, before you send the promised one? How long will it be before he comes and sets us free? It is with groaning and yearning and longing God's people in the Old Testament looked ahead because life was hard. And they needed a rescue. Who will rescue us and how long it will, will it be? The promised one, the Messiah, Emmanuel, would come. But when would he come? That seems to be the whole posture of the Old Testament. We see it a little bit in Isaiah chapter 7. If you read the Old Testament, you see it over and over and over again. Now I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. 
Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at a guy who embodies that forward-looking, forward-leaning expectation of the promised one who would come in the person of Simeon and his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ at the temple when Jesus is just a baby. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read verses 21 through 33 to get this picture. This is what God's Word says. And when eight days had passed, so this is, this is after Jesus is born. When eight days had passed, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And, verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And when he came in the Spirit into the temple... He came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And we're going to stop there for now. It goes on talks about his engagement with Mary, but that's not uh, important for our uh, study today. So just at the right time, in fact, Paul says in the fullness of time, Jesus was born. And being good Jewish parents, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple and dedicated him to the Lord, offered the sacrifices according to the law, just like the law prescribes. And when they got to the temple, there was this guy, this devout man, Simeon, hanging around the temple who absolutely embodied the forward-looking expectation that I was just talking about. Here is a guy that the Holy Spirit dwelt in, and the Holy Spirit had told him, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And so it seems like every day he was going to the temple, just looking around, looking around, hoping that he would see the Messiah. Think about this. Especially, think about it as a Jew living under Roman occupation in Jerusalem. Simeon longed for the Messiah to come. And I believe checked every baby that came through the temple as he hung around there, right? And can you imagine all those other parents? This crazy man who comes up to them and like, let me see your baby. Nope, not it, not it, sorry, not the Messiah, not the Messiah, not the Messiah, you can keep going. I don't know if he did that, the Bible doesn't say, but I think he did that. But then there's this moment in Luke chapter 2 where he saw the baby with Mary and Joseph, and he is immediately absolutely overjoyed. This long-anticipated promise had come to pass. In fact, it seems like the Holy Spirit told him, you'll see this baby, you'll see the coming of the Messiah, and then you'll die. Because that's essentially what he says when he holds the baby up, right? All right, Lord, I can go now. You, you've delivered on your promise, and I can die now in peace. This long-anticipated promise had come to pass. 
And he says some heavy things, and he holds that baby up. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but every time I read this passage, I think of the Lion King and, and Simba. Like, he's got, he's got eight-day-old baby Jesus, and he's like, this is it. He's the one. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one that we've been longing for, and now I can die. Simeon, listen, had heard the promises, and Simeon saw the fulfillment of those promises. And therefore, Simeon rejoiced because the Messiah had come. Emmanuel has come. I want you to hear that today. With all of the forward look of, O come, O come, Emmanuel, part of the lesson today is he has come. He has come and he has lived among us. He has lived among us with a life that none of us could live. He has lived among us with perfect righteousness, never sinning, being tempted in every way, just like we are, but never sinning, always obedient and submissive to the Father. He has lived a life that we could not live and he died a death that we absolutely deserve to die. The Bible teaches that we are all sinners and that the wages of sin is death and that holy God must punish sinful man for his sins. We all deserve death and hell because we are all sinners. But Jesus was not a sinner. Jesus did not deserve to die. And yet he died. He died as our willing, voluntary substitute. He stepped in our place and took the punishment that we deserve when he died on the cross. He took our sin on his own shoulders and suffered the wrath, not just the physical death, but the spiritual wrath of God that we all deserve. And he died the death that we deserve. And when he died, they buried him. And on the third day, he rose from the dead in victory over sin and death and hell. And now he offers us victory over sin and death and hell and every enemy that would hold us captive. He offers us deliverance. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us cleansing and justification and reconciliation to God. He offers us adoption into the family of God. And all of this he offers to us as a free gift. Not something we pay for, not something we pay off in installments. He offers this to us as a free gift. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we receive this free gift by grace through faith, by trusting, by depending on the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by doing a bunch of good things ourselves, but by resting our whole weight on what Jesus has done. Emmanuel has come. For years, God's people said, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and he has come. And so I invite you today to repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation because that's why he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we are saved by grace through faith in him. Emmanuel has come. The Messiah has come. But there's still a sense of longing. There's still a sense of yearning and expectation, even for those of us who trust in Jesus. So as we sing this Christmas season, O come, O come, Emmanuel, on the one hand, we want to say, He has come. He has come. The, the promise has been fulfilled. But on the other hand, even for those of us who know Him as our Savior and Lord, there is still a yearning and a longing and a forward-leaning, forward-looking expectation of something more that is to come. That is, at his return, when our salvation is fulfilled completely and we are delivered entirely from sin and pain and sorrow and sickness, when we are brought to live with him forever and ever. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 8, so turn there. 
Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. You're going to want to turn there to see this because there's a lot going on in Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 18 through 25 together. I should read all of Romans chapter 8, but we we can only do just part of it. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So that's what I'm talking about. Like we, we who are in Christ, we're in this world right now. We have been saved, but, but there is suffering and there is pain and there is sorrow. And Paul's saying the sufferings of this world are not worth comparing to the things that are to come. And so I'm talking about that forward-leaning, forward-looking expectation of what is to come that we still have even as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, this forward-leaning, forward-looking expectation is not just for the people of God, it's for the very earth itself. Because even the earth, even the earth feels the consequences of that first sin. Even way back in Genesis chapter 3, even the earth feels the consequences of that and is waiting for something something better, some ultimate deliverance that will come. Read on in verse uh, 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Here's the point, especially as we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, at Christmas time. Even though we have been redeemed, We have been forgiven, reconciled, justified, adopted into the family of God. We long, we still long for the culmination of that salvation at the return of Christ. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. And we are being saved from the power of sin. But we are longing and yearning for the day when we will be saved even from the very presence of sin, right? We have been justified. And we are being sanctified. And in this process, we yearn and long and eagerly wait for the day when we will be glorified, right? And so even for us who know something of what it means that Emmanuel has come, we still long for him to return so that it will all be finished, so that it will all be done and we will be glorified. There is this already but not yet tension throughout our salvation. We've already been delivered but not yet has it been fully realized. And so we long for that. We rest secure and confident. We have a solid hope, but we long for the day when we will be delivered ultimately, completely, eternally from sorrow and sickness and war and oppression and evil. And there is a sense, especially at Christmas time, when my heart says, how long will it be, Lord? How long? How long will you let this happen? How long will you let evil go on like this? How long will you let people treat each other this way? How long 
Will you let people blaspheme your name this way? How long before you send your son back on a white horse with a sword out of his mouth in complete and total victory? How long, O Lord, until all of this is done? Emmanuel has come. Even so, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, right? Isn't that the cry of our hearts as believers? Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. Flip over to Revelation chapter 22. It's the very last page of your Bible. Point being, Emmanuel has come. And even so, our hearts cry, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Look at the very last words of the Bible. This is the end. There's no Revelation 23. There's no Revelation 22, 22. Look at verses 20 and 21. As it's all wrapped up. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. It's Jesus speaking. Yes, I am coming quickly. And then John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. That's kind of what I, where I want to leave it today. Is I want us to have that same cry of our hearts. We want to hear Jesus say, yes, I am coming quickly. And for us to say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. O come, O come, Emmanuel. So this Christmas, as we sing that song, I want us to sing it with a unique perspective. As believers, I want us to sing it as He has come. The cry of the Old Testament, O come, O come, Emmanuel, that has been accomplished. But there is this remaining cry of the hearts of believers. We celebrate like Simeon that the Messiah has come. And we recognize that He is coming. And so we groan with expectation. In the midst of our suffering, we find hope in the certain return of the Lord who will come and set things right once and for all. Turn back a page to chapter 21, verses 1 to 6. Revelation 21, 1 to 6. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, no longer will there be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. Did you have that longing for that day? When there will be no more sorrow and no more pain? No more sickness and no more death? And does your heart as a believer cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. Bring that day, because this day is so hard. But listen, this day is bearable in light of the hope of that day. We can live through this day knowing that that day is coming. And so we persevere with hope. So here's the two applications today. Number one, what are you waiting for? Emmanuel has come. 
Like, don't, we, don't, we don't have to sit like Isaiah anymore and say, oh, come, oh, come. We don't have to sit like all those Old Testament saints. Oh, when will the deliverer come? When will the one who can redeem us and set us free, when will he come? We don't have to have that posture like Simeon, like, like Moses, like David, like all of those, Abraham, all those guys in the Old Testament. We don't have to have that posture anymore because he has come. Jesus has come and lived and died and risen again, and he saves. So, so what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Repent and believe today and receive the gift of salvation from the Lord himself. What are you waiting for? That's number one. And number two is, how are you waiting for him? He is coming. How are you waiting for him? I want you to know it won't always be like this. And maybe you need to be reminded of that during this difficult Christmas season. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it won't always be like this. It won't always be so hard. You won't always be so sick. You won't always be so sad. It won't always be like this. So persevere this day in light of that day to come. What's the song say? Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come. Rejoice, believer. Rejoice. Because he is coming back to get his people. And to set all things right. And he will reign forevermore. Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you that Emmanuel has come, that Jesus has lived a life that we could not live and died a death that we deserve and risen from the dead in victory over sin and death and hell. Thank you for the gift of eternal life that you give by grace through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that if there are men and women and boys and girls who are waiting for some future day to repent and believe, that you will give them faith to believe today, repentance to turn away from their sin today, that they will wait no longer but put their trust and their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for your people, especially your people who are suffering struggling your people who are overcome with sickness sorrow and pain that you will remind them on this day that it won't always be like this that Emmanuel will come again and we will be united with him forever and ever in a place where there's no more sorrow and no more sickness and no more death because there is no more sin. And I pray that you will overwhelm them this season with the hope of that day to come and that that hope will help them persevere in this day. And God, I pray for others of your people who are happy and glad during this season that we will be able to come alongside those who are hurting, love them and support them and have compassion upon them to weep as your word says, with those who are weeping and to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Father, help us to live in this already not yet tension of the gospel that we will know we belong to you and we will long for the culmination of that salvation at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray.